Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts Rick and Patrick for this week's discussion. Welcome back for episode number 41 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am Rick. And I am Patrick. And we are glad to be back with you this week. Patrick, what's been happening in your world this week, man? Oh, uh, you know, just uh, back in the swing of things with work. And uh, been, this is, I think, the third week we've, we've been back in the office. So things are starting to feel a little bit normal. Uh, we had a is, mandatory... Is- drug-free meeting to get like certified as a drug-free workplace this week i was gonna say did they catch you doing drugs again uh no they would not because i don't <laughs> patrick, do drugs? patrick don't do drugs that's why but uh patrick says say no to drugs kids yeah. what was funny is the guys who came in and did it were like old old guys so but they thought they were hilarious they were exactly like our owner and gm nice so they had very similar like dude uh did did y'all have dare when you were in school yes dare was amazing <laughs> also everyone who taught dare would be really upset with us about drinking beer on the reg probably but oh well what, what about you there rick how's your week been going man it's been uh it's been a calm week finally a little bit i've had some crazy things at work but but nothing like weird or, or strange i mean it's it, for me nothing has ever changed because i still go i still have gone into work but it's weird seeing like more people on the road when i go to work now yeah you have to leave a little <laughs> earlier yeah well like i mean i used to drive on whatever side of the road i wanted to and it didn't matter because yeah. nobody was on the road now i just yeah. have to drive on the right side of the road again yeah <laughs> so but yeah it's been a it's been a normal week where uh we are our business was you know was down a little bit because of because of coronavirus but it started to pick back up, so we kind of feel like we're getting back to normal. We're getting back to full speed, and uh, picking back up with uh, with our daily tasks, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, it's just a whole lot of hanging out, and and because uh, you can't, I mean, we still can't really go anywhere. Haven't been able to go anywhere until the last couple of weeks, and mm-hmm. I feel like now that we have the opportunity to go somewhere, I'm like every opportunity I have, I'm leaving the house. I'm getting out of the house to yeah. go somewhere. Yeah. We've only gone, I think we've only gone out to eat maybe one time. That's really the only place we've gone. Yeah. Um, I mean, other than like the store and stuff, we haven't done anything, you know, we haven't gone anywhere else other than that. But yeah. it was weird when we went. Uh, I think we talked about that a little <laughs> bit last week. So, because it was still, it was fresh in my mind because we had just gone the night before. It is still weird. So, but, yeah. but life is starting to feel more normal for everyone involved. Um, yes. And it's. Yeah, which by the time this comes out, we will be we'll be a couple more weeks down the road. So we're we're recording this the weekend before Memorial Day. So this is like I think it's gonna be like the big weekend where everything kind of opens up. Um, a lot of stuff uh, is gonna start getting back to you know more than just half capacity and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. They've lifted the ban on like gatherings, uh, so churches of course can start going back a little bit more frequently and. And I, I, you know, I appreciate, and, and I saw, I've seen several churches in our area. I don't, I don't know how they're doing it up there, but um, a lot of churches in our area have done well. They've, they've like added extra services mm-hmm. so that they can allow half capacity crowds to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I, I'm going to commend churches for doing stuff like that because yeah. you're making it accessible for your people to, to come and yeah. do corporate worship, and you know. Maybe it's not ideal. Maybe you don't want to do multiple services, but it's kind of what we have to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I applaud those churches for doing what they can to gather the church together as best as possible in this yeah. time. And I think a lot of churches are going to have to be adaptable in this season right now. Yeah. Um, Art, the church that we've been going to, they haven't released their plans yet. I think it's what they're doing uh, during the service, actually, on Sunday. It's part of the message mm-hmm. that they're going to be talking about, the plan for 
you know, coming back together as a, as a church family. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's been an interesting time. And I know, you know, having worked in the church, in a church in the past, it's, I would not want to be the one or on the team having to make that decision or how how to figure out how, how do we do church while keeping everyone in our, in our family safe. So, um, it's, it's a stressful time for, church staffs and pastors in particular because they have to lead yeah. and, and make decisions that are hard and um we, yes they we, do and we commend we commend you if you are a church staff member or a pastor and you are um making plans for how to get your church back together uh, physically back together um uh, out of coming out of this coronavirus thing we commend that so yeah um, and we're and we're praying for you yeah we're praying for you we're grateful for you and your leadership and your body uh, in your church body and um yes and if you're a hey, if you're in a church if you're just a lay person listen to this take the opportunity to pray for your staff and your mm-hmm. pastor uh and the leadership in your church because you know they're they're trying to work with the the information that they have and and they're trying to make the best decision possible so don't you know be gracious be gracious mm-hmm. in your judgments and and be gracious in in the way that you deal with your staff because they have an uh, an untold amount of pressure on them. I can yeah. tell you that much. Yes. They do. Yeah. And they feel it. They, whether, whether they say it or not, they feel it mm-hmm. and it is there. It is, yeah. it is in their life. And so, you know, support them however you can pray for them whenever you can love them however you can. And, and, you know, if they lay out a plan and it's not exactly what you want, man, stick to the plan mm-hmm. and support your local church. Yeah. It's a pressure and a responsibility that no, uh, n- that a non-staff or non-volunteer at a at, at just goes to a church would un- really understand. Yeah. Um. So that yeah. it's you know it's vital for churches to get back together physically to embrace each other in in, in you know as a body in, in one. Yeah. Um. But there's got you know churches and pastors and staffs have to make decisions on how to do that safely for their whole congregation. So. It's yes. it's important that they look at everything before they just lay out a plan. So, like and like Rick True said, if the, if you don't like the plan, hey, obey the leadership of your church. Yeah. Don't look, look, oh, and 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 you know we we we've said that we're Baptist in our in our theology and and in the way that we believe churches should be run. This is not something that you leave a church over. If you mm-hmm. leave a church over this, then this is petty, and you and you're you're being disobedient mm-hmm. to the word of God, yeah. I, you know, um, you know, the, you don't, you don't have to agree with every decision your staff makes, but, but man, in this time, this is when they need your support. And and if you do something like leave in this time, all that does is break them down even further mm-hmm. uh, exactly. because it, it, it hits at their leadership. It hits at, at them saying, I did something wrong. I did, you know, I didn't make the wise decision. And, and so, you know, Stick with your stick with your staff. Stick with your pastors. Uh, you know, if you feel like you need to leave later in life, that's a different story. But but don't do it right. Don't do it right now. Yeah, stick with them. Um, so anyway, there's that, and that was kind of a little sidebar. I don't know that we had that planned or not, but we uh, didn't. But you know, <laughs> you know, we, we kind of said how we wouldn't want to be on a staff that's having to make those decisions. If we were on a staff that was having to make those decisions after a long day of meetings and figuring out what to do. With our body, with our church body, I keep saying with our body, and me forgetting to put in <laughs> with the church body, with the church body. So <laughs> apologies, but um, figuring out what to do with our with our congregations, I'm pretty sure I would come home and have at least one and probably multiple beers. So let's segue into that uh, tonight. So what beer do we have tonight? So Patrick, t- tonight from the Sierra Nevada uh, Brewing Company, we have the uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It's that, that's just what it's what it is I, I, that's what i have i don't yep. know what you have that's what i bought okay it's just called the pale ale yeah it's just a pale um, ale handcrafted S- ale sierra nevada is one of the um so wait, hang on hold your hold your bottle up it's different yeah our bottles are different that's crazy also um so in the packer store where i was at the not the box but the label that had like the price and stuff for it mm-hmm. was noticeably more worn out than the labels around the, this beer. So they've had 
they've had they've been carrying this beer for a long time. Yeah, and I really well, hope that this hasn't been sitting there for a long time. Yeah, Sierra Nevada is a pretty. It's a more popular brewery. Um, they're I would say they're probably a little bit bigger than your average craft brewery. Mm-hmm. So I'm not 100 percent certain this qualifies as craft beer, but I've actually never had a Sierra Nevada before, and so I don't recall uh, ever having one either. So this will be a first for both of us. But yeah. I'm always, you know, I'm always down for a good pale ale. I enjoy them. Hey, uh, when was yours packaged? Do you see that on your on your bottle there? Let me look. Let me look. It should be at the top of that of the square like government warning sticker. So on the government other side. warning sticker. Um, labels in 1980. I don't see a date on mine. Above pale ale, there's not a date there. Nope. Wow. I've got a date. Mine was labeled. Mine was packaged on January twentieth of this year. So, okay. Mine is. Mine might be nineteen eighty. Mine might be the nineteen eighty <laughs> version. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have no dates on mine at all. That's funny. But but I do have five point six percent alcohol by volume and twelve fluid ounces. Yeah, uh, thirty eight IBUs. If you're counting at home. Um, the website's got a cool, like, bratwurst recipe. Ooh. You poach the bratwurst in the in the beer. Like you... I bet that would be really good. I bet I it would be. That. I might try it this weekend because it's Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day weekend. Yep. So, so um, I'm ready to, to drink this let's, thing. Let's crack it open because it's sitting here getting warm and I'm ready to drink it. All right. Also, um, on the top of yours, does it say use bottle opener? Uh, no. Look, my my cap is silver, and yours is not. Mine is green, and it says use bottle opener. That lets you know it's not a twist off, which is the standard. Yeah, it's it's helpful because sometimes you don't know. So that's true. Here we go. On three, one, two, three. That was nice. That's a good smelling beer. It is. I think this is going to be good for a pale ale. I hope I don't have to give it another five this week. But I kind of hope I do. I waited until the last possible second so I can make sure my glass was frosty. Oh, lucky. Still pouring. So, um, what's your, sorry, I literally got up from my chair. (laughs) Um, so how, okay, so we've got a little bit of a paradoxical thing. So look how heady mine is. It's cause your, uh, it's cause your cup was too cold. Well, it's all, it's, it's already, the phone's already coming down a little bit. So yeah, frosty, frosty cups will, will create a extra amount of head well that's okay <laughs> so i got some in the bottle so when i drink this down i'll be able to i'm ready to drink this thing it smells great um it does this uh, i'll be this smells like it's going to be a little bit more flavored uh mm-hmm. but it's going to be just your kind of like I'm, I'm anticipating this being a hot afternoon beer is what i'm anticipating yeah. right now all right so let, you want to pre-rank it i'm going to pre-rank it. i'm going to i'm going to come in and say i'm going to come in at four Okay. I think this is going to be a four. All right. Um, I'll, I think I'm going to agree with you on that. So, just based on past experience with pale ales and looks looks and beers that smell like this. So, yeah. All right. Here we go. What's bottoms up? The Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. That's a little different, dude. That is. That's a little more flavor than I was expecting out of a pale ale. So this it's is, also a little bit bitter, more bitter than I was expecting out of a pale so ale. So this is a pale ale. It's not an India pale ale. No, it's not an IPA. It's just a PA. Correct. It's just a PA. So, um, I'm going to have to get another taste. So. <laughs> get you another taste. So I'll talk about it for you, a minute. You talk. Um, this is This is a little bit more bitter than I was thinking, coming in at 38 IBUs. It's a little bit more bitter than I was expecting. The flavor is good. Um, I think the the aftertaste might be the one downside. I do like how light it is. 
to even, I mean, because honestly, for a for a pale ale, it's actually a little dark. Um, it, I I was expecting it to be a little bit more light than it is, but but you know, it's still. I mean, it's it's obviously clear. You can see straight through it, so it it's not super dark. It's not yingling dark or anything like that. But it's just a little bit. It's a little bit darker than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flavor is good. I don't know if it's as good as I was anticipating. Um, and so, so with that, I I would say I'm gonna have to. I'm actually gonna come in at three and a half. Okay. I think I was a little. I was a little excited, thinking it was gonna be better than it was. But this is still to me, this is a good beer. Uh, this is something that if it were there, I would drink it again. Um, I may possibly throw a six pack in the fridge to drink after I get done cutting the grass or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm gonna come in. I'm gonna come in at three and a half out of five Luthers okay. for uh, the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Okay. Oh, excuse me. So, um, I prorated at four Luthers out of five. Um, I do agree with you. It's the flavor is actually really, really good. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it is. It, you said it was a little more bitter than you were expecting it to be. I think it was exactly what I was expecting it, bitterness-wise. Okay. Um, you know, for for a bitter beer, it's it's really honestly very smooth for a bitter beer. It is smooth for a bitter beer. Um, and, and it's not overly bitter to me anyway. Um, so all that being said, I think I'm going to stick with my four Luthers out of five. Okay. I'm, I'm going to stay there. Um, it's, it, it is almost, I, I don't think I could iterate this enough. It is exactly what I was expecting out of it. That's what you want. So you're expecting a four Luther and you got a four Luther. Yeah. Um, it, it is really good. I, I would recommend it. Um, of course I would recommend just about any beer that we've had on the Beer Survival <laughs> Podcast. So, uh, this is true, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it's, it's really good. Um, that's all. That's really all I have to say. It, it's yep. four I have, out of five liters. I have no qualms. Uh, Patrick has no qualms. Uh, it's a, this is a good, solid beer. Uh, this is going to be enjoyable for the majority of people, uh, regardless of your beer fancy. You know, if you mm-hmm. like porters or stouts or lights or whatever, uh, I think this is probably going to fit in some vein that you'll enjoy. So, uh, good job, Sierra Nevada. This is, I mean, this is the first Sierra Nevada beer that I've ever had, and and uh, it's pretty good. So, how I big would, of a brewery are they? Um, I mean, I've seen them just about everywhere I've, I've been. So, I, I think they're at least nationwide. Sierra Nevada. Oh. They're a, they're not a major. They're not a Budweiser or Coors Light size mm-hmm. brewery, but they're a little bit bigger than some of the ones that we've done. So, okay. So, did we cover where like where Sierra Nevada is? I just I just assumed they were from like Las Vegas or something. Um, <laughs> I've never actually looked. So I was just looking at their website. They've got two locations where you could p- go to pick up beer. Um, California, Chico, California, and, and Hills River, North Carolina. North Carolina. Yep. So we've so got brewed and bottled. So it's brewed and bottled in both of those places, East Coast and West Coast. Yeah. I wonder. So they are nationwide. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're literally the epitome of nationwide. They have both states on the edges. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, this is really good. Well done, Sierra Nevada. Well done. Well done. Good work. And now we're going to move into Packer. We're going to keep trekking along, and we're going to tonight we're going to talk about discipline and mission. We're kind of in this little section about the church, and we're going to talk about what church discipline looks like and what the mission of the church looks like right about now. Now we're going to continue our discussion in J.I. Packer's Concise Theology. I mean, this is the 40th or 41st episode of this. 41st? 42nd? This is 41, but the first episode was not on Packer. We didn't start episode, Packer until episode, yes, episode two. two. That's true. So this is the 40th episode on J.I. Packer. 
one day, very soon, we will be finished <laughs> with J.I. Packer. <laughs> At least we can science theology. We might make another J.I. Packer. This might become the Beers and Bible at J.I. Packer podcast. That's true. I'll say this. One, one of the podcasts that I listen to on a pretty regular basis is called Doctrine and Devotion. And they've been doing uh, like a – they do two episodes a week, but one of the episodes each week is on like a section of the 1689 – uh, London Baptist Confession, Second mm-hmm. London Baptist Confession. They've been doing that one for like two years. Oh, wow. So I don't feel bad about 40 episodes in Packer. No, not at all. So yeah. if you're listening, Joe Thorne or Jimmy Fowler, this is a shout out to the Doctrine and Devotion podcast. What, what? We should tag them in the post. We'll we post probably it. will. So anyway, so tonight we're going to talk about uh, church discipline and then mission. So let's dive right into discipline. First, discipline is not Catholic nuns uh, striking your knuckles with rulers, for the record. That is not what church discipline is. That is discipline, but it's not discipline. (laughs) That's not church discipline, the way it's defined in the Bible. Right. So what is church discipline? What does Packer tell us church discipline is? So Packer, Packer just says that the church must uphold the standards that Christ has taught us. Um, yes. He, he quotes Jesus um, from Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. That's a pretty, like, quick, like steady and quick uh, series of events, sequence of events. Where, it is. Where, where your, your brother is openly sinning, you approach him about it and say, hey man, What's going on? We need to address this and repent. And if he doesn't, you bring other people along. And if he still doesn't address it, you get the whole church involved. And if he still doesn't address it, then you're like, okay, bye, Felicia. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, is, is and I, I've heard this several times, but so you treat him as a pagan or a tax collector. How does Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? I mean, well. <laughs> He's friendly to them. Yeah. I mean, everybody thinks church discipline is about excommunication and kicking people out of the church. That's not at all what church discipline is about. True. So I have to, church, I have to redact my statement <laughs> I just made. No, no, you don't because it's in, but it's in scripture. So you read it exactly. You were, you, it is a little bit about by Felicia when you're talking about the communion of the saints, the fellowship and the corporate worship aspect of the church. Mm-hmm. There are some aspects that you say. You know, you can't partake in the Lord's Supper. We talked about the Lord's Supper last week, and I talked a little bit about how certain denominations, they do what's called fencing the table. And and the goal is to, you know, to keep people in a right relationship with God, because when you come to the table, you're supposed to be in a right relationship with God. So if there's somebody who you know is not in a right relationship, then then you say hey man i think you need to i think you need to step away from the table and not partake in the lord's supper mm-hmm. until you have reconciled until you have been restored uh to the community and and you know as much as i don't like catholics and and i don't want to be a papist um this is something that the catholic church actually does pretty well mm-hmm. um i don't agree with their views of the lord's supper i don't agree with the way they partake in the lord's supper uh, there's a lot of things I don't agree with for the Catholic Church, but one thing they do do well is if there is somebody who is known and the bishop or the archdiocese or um, whatever it is, whoever in the Catholic Church makes that decision, they will come out and, and you've heard it several times, you know, uh, a famous bishop will come out against a celebrity and be like, hey, that celebrity is not allowed to come into the church and take communion. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed to participate in Mass because they're going against the teaching of the church. Right. They're going, you know, and and that's a whole other bag of worms that I'm not going to get into, but that's the point, like, that's the idea behind church discipline. Um, They they do it for, the Catholics do it for a lot of really dumb reasons that are not right. scriptural. But, right, right. But, um, and so, so when we talk about discipline, the ultimate point of discipline is restoration. 
it's not to kick your brother out of the church. It's not mm-hmm. to make him your enemy. It's not to hate on your brother. And that, so, you know, discipline should be done with a the most sincere attitude of love that you can possibly muster. Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole point is you are pleading with this brother or the sister in Christ saying, please return, please repent of your sin, please do this, please do that. Mm-hmm. See the sin in your life, repent and come back yeah. so that we can have restoration. That is that is the point of what Matthew 18 is getting at. Mm-hmm. And, and if it gets to the point where you say, where that person says, no, I'm not going to do that, then you treat that person as if they have never responded to the gospel and they are an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And you say, that's when, and so when it gets to that point, you say, okay, hey, uh, I don't believe that you are, are a professing you know, faith in Christ. And so I need to tell you what the gospel says about your life. Mm-hmm. And so so you get this, I mean, it's this really kind of weird or, or alternate dichotomy that you that people struggle with. And, that, and I honestly think that's why people struggle with the, the topic of church discipline. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, who wants to look at somebody who's been in your church for 25 years that you find out has been living in sin the whole time and look at them and go, yeah, so you're not going to repent. We think you're not a Christian. Do you want to uh, profess Jesus as your Savior? And they're like, you serious? Yeah. You know, how awkward is that for some people? Yeah. And so do you think that's why church discipline is either not talked about much or talked about, you know, I could, I do not have a memory and it might just be like due to the size of the churches that I've been in or, or whatever, but I don't have any memory of witnessing a, like a reconciliation of a member from a life of sin to the body, to the congregation. Now, and, and I'll say this, there's, there is an argument to be made and, and I'm, I'm not 100% certain where I fall on the argument, but I at least understand the argument. So, um, what they, what they're arguing or what they point to here is when, when you say, um, you, you approach the brother by yourself, and then you approach the brother with one or two witnesses, and then you approach the brother with the church. There is, there's an argument out there that what they're referring to in that section is actually not the church body gathered as corporate worship, mm-hmm. but the church body gathered, or, or the, the leadership, the elders of the church gathered at a time where you say uh, it's the individual person, it's one or two people, and then you bring them for the entire elder board. Okay. So you're talking eight or ten people, maybe. Um, so it's not and, something that would have necessarily happened before the entire church. Yeah. If you're Baptist, this is not something... I don't believe this is something that should happen in a business meeting. Um, now, something something that would happen in a business meeting or in a, in a church member meeting or something like that is 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 it's laid out and, it, and you say, you know what, um, Johnny was was living in sin and this is the sin that Johnny was living in. And we're not going to go into details, but uh, Jeremy went to Johnny and confronted him and asked him to repent. Jeremy is his brother and and was begging for reconciliation. And then Jer- he didn't reconcile. And so Jeremy went and talked to Jack and Jeffrey and he got, I don't know why I'm doing J's, but whatever. Well, I there's a lot uh, of J guys in this church <laughs> that are all buddies. <laughs> That's right. They're all buddies. Uh, so he went and got Jack and Jeffrey and they went to Johnny and and then uh, he still didn't reconcile, so they brought him before the elder board. Those three brought him before the elder board, and the elder board said, "Is this true?" Johnny admitted it was true, but he wouldn't repent. And and so so at this point, we are saying that there is not fellowship in our church with Johnny. Uh, you know that's something that would happen, and and that is an aspect of church discipline. I mean, the church needs to know if somebody is not in right standing with the church, because mm-hmm. that's how the church treats that person as a tax collector or a pagan. They reach out to them. Hey, Johnny, we love you. We want you to come back. We want you to respond. We want you to repent. That's the whole point of this thing is, is it's not about, uh, you know, what, what typically happens in Baptist churches, which is uh, sister Sally and sister Sue, going over there and, and talking about uh, Brother Johnny the whole time and saying, well, Johnny did this and Johnny did that and Johnny's just an awful person and Johnny needs Jesus and Johnny did that. You know, that's well, not the point. What you're describing there is gossip. 
Yes, what I'm describing there is gossip, and that is that is the main reason that churches are so afraid of church discipline, is because oftentimes what comes out of it is gossip, mm-hmm. and it, and it's awful, and that and and because we have been so ravaged by something as as awful as gossip, now we're not doing a biblical command. And now you can go back and look over the, the last couple of years at the stories that have come out about cover-ups, uh, about misgivings in the church that were that were not confronted the right way, and and now look at look at the reckoning that we're having to face because of that, mm-hmm. you know, and and look at the stain that we have brought to the church because of one simple thing that we did not do correctly, right. It's it's hard, man. It's hard to talk about discipline because this discipline is not fun. I mean, if you yeah. have kids, you know that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we we have a small a small child, a young child. He's two. He's two years old. Um, and disciplining him is difficult right now. And I yeah, I couldn't imagine because he doesn't understand when when he does something wrong, he doesn't understand it yet. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to discipline somebody who knows that they've done something wrong. That doesn't want to respond to the yeah. like, to the call to be disciplined. Yes, I, I couldn't yeah. imagine having. To, I couldn't imagine taking on that responsibility. I couldn't imagine having that conversation with somebody that I loved, whether it was a close friend or mm-hmm. just a member of the church that I was a part a part of. Um, that would be a very difficult conversation to have. Yeah, it, I mean, it definitely is, and and that's why you know a topic like this is not for it's not for the weak, it's not for the mm-hmm. spiritually shallow. I yeah. mean, it really is. Uh, it's something that's deep, and it's something that has to be very well prayed over. Um, it's something that has to be done with the utmost possible amount of love that you can muster. Um, and and a lot of and there are so many times that it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and the thing is you can do everything right. And the person respond in hatred and vitriol, mm-hmm. but as long as you did everything right and you stay in the path of everything, right, then, then you maintain the biblical position mm-hmm. you're confronting with the, with the, uh, purpose of restoration and the purpose of reconciliation and, and the response of the other person is not in your, it's not in your hands. That's in God's hands. Mm-hmm. And so. So that's and but that is why we've we have shied away from discipline and and I believe that is why we are facing the reckoning that we're facing right now with the charges of hypocrisy because mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you look at it you say you say the Southern Baptist Church all right let's just talk just about Southern Baptist churches you know the Houston Chronicles had multiple articles about cover-ups of sexual misgivings inside of Southern Baptist churches and it is it is demonstrably provable. So this is not like a conjecture thing where everything's being disputed. All of this stuff is provable, documented, and happened. And and so now when you put a story like that up against a church who says we want to stand for life, people don't believe you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they are rightly calling you a hypocrite mm. because you are. Yeah. And and as hard as that is for me, because I mean that finger points at me too, you know I'm 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 a part of a Southern Baptist church, that finger points at me too. But because of churches not dealing with a problem correctly, the reckoning is coming because of that because of that inaction. Yeah, and and so we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared for that, and we need to be willing to say, you know what, we were wrong. We did mess up. And we're going to change and we're going to do something differently this time around. You know, we, maybe we didn't know that was going on. Maybe we didn't, you know, maybe we did and we covered it up. If we covered it up, then we repent. And, and we say, you know, we, we thank God for grace and and we say, here's what we're going to do to not do that next time. Yeah. Which is where discipline comes in because we, you know, we need to get back to church disciplines. And, And honestly, you know, I think part of the issue again with church discipline is the size of your church. It's a whole lot easier to do church discipline in a hundred member church than mm-hmm. it is a twenty five hundred member church mm-hmm. or yeah. a ten thousand member church. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's why you rarely see it in big churches. Yeah, and then to go to the, I mean, it's it's even easier to do it in a church with ten members. <clears throat> yeah, 
of course, a lot of times the ten members are family too. So yeah, that's, that's kind of hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, you know, Packer brings up the Westminster Confession. He talks about church censorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he when he says when he so when he talks about censures, he's uh, you know the the word means um, to express severe disapproval of someone or something in a formal statement. So, so it's like a, it's a formal disapproval of something. Yes. Um, and, and he quotes the Westminster Confession. He says, church censures are necessary for the reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren, for deterring of others from the like offenses, for purging out of that leaven, which might infect the whole lump, for vindicating the honor of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and he goes on. But, you know, the that idea that the church needs to needs to see or the church should should be seeing when somebody in their body is living in sin they should be willing to call that brother out to call that sister out yes challenge that person to repent so that it doesn't so that other members of the church don't fall into the same sin yes don't fall into the same traps don't fall into the same snares because mm-hmm. you know as cliche as it is, it's it's easy to pull somebody down. Yes, it's a lot more difficult to pull somebody up. Yes, which it, which is the point of of discipline. The point of discipline is not to put your brother or sister down. The point of discipline is to reach into the pit or even get down into the pit mm-hmm. with them and pull them out. Yeah, you know sometimes you got to get your own hands dirty getting down in the pit, and and I can't. You know, I can tell you, uh, I have seen people get down in the pit mm-hmm. with, with other people and bring them, bring them back, you know, drag, drag them back. And it is, it is totally and 100% the work of God, but it is that person allowing God to work in their life, uh, in that way. And it's a beautiful thing when you see it happen, because a lot of times when somebody, when two people come out of that pit together, mm-hmm. uh, there is a, there is a relationship a bond a forging uh of a relationship there that that is stronger than it was before right because it's it almost creates like a familial bond there Mm -hmm. where that person will do really anything for that other for that other brother or sister in christ and that is i mean that's what the picture of the church is supposed to be yeah is each one of us defending each other Mm -hmm. yeah I think I think maybe part of the reason why that's so difficult for some for some people and maybe some churches in general is like you were talking about size. In a church of a thousand or two thousand people, you're going to have vastly different types of people. Yes, I mean it's it's almost like high school all over again. You're going to have jocks and nerds and cool kids and uh, you know the outcasts, the ones that don't really fit in anywhere. And when when you know, if a jock or a cool kid does something, is living in sin, you're probably less likely to call them out mm-hmm. than if like one of your less popular or nerdy ones are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the book of James tells us that we can't show partiality. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, if if people come in and they they don't have anything, you don't give the person who does have a lot of things a special privilege position. Yeah, and the same applies to discipline. You know, for people who don't have a lot to offer the church, and there are those people. Um, you know, they're not more subject to discipline or scrutiny than somebody who donates large sums or or huge amounts of money or buildings or, or whatever it is. Member. Yeah, you know, or is related to a staff member. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's you know, I think that's. The, the struggle that you see in a lot of, you know, these smaller, when we talk about smaller, you know, even even more uh, rural churches is, you know, you may have a church of 25 people where 20 of those people are related. Right. And they're going to leave church and go to family dinner. And and nobody wants to leave church and go to family dinner when you've just called out Uncle Bubba for, you know, the sin that he's been living in for the last six years. <laughs> Why is it a rural church of 25 people, ha- uh, every one of them has an Uncle Bubba? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that's a rule written somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I think I think all that, all of this to say that 
church discipline is important. It's important to do, and we, we keep talking about this, it's important to do things in love, um, yes. to do things from a place of compassion, because that's how Jesus lived his life. He, he lived his life and interacted with people. And even when he was angry in the temple, he was mm -hmm. he, those were acts of compassion. Yes. So treat, treat your brother, treat your sister that's caught in sin with compassion and show them, you know, Treat your brother or sister the way you would want to be treated when you get caught in sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because news, I mean, newsflash, we're, no one is impervious to sin. Yes. No one, exactly. Is, no one can, no one can say, oh, I live a perfect life. And if you can, then you need to repent because you're a liar. Yes. We need to intervene for you. So it's, it's I think it's important, but. It's a it's a challenging thing for churches to address. It is just it is. just and, in general, and that's why churches don't want to address it because it is very very challenging, and and so it's easier to just bypass it or skip it or do something else mm -hmm. as opposed to facing the situation from a biblical perspective. Yeah, you know, so so that's that's discipline. Now let's talk about something positive. You know, that was that was Debbie Downer there for a few minutes. What is the mission? What's the mission of the church? What do we do? What is the church supposed to be doing? Loaded question. <laughs> I think it's a loaded question. Um, so, I mean, the church should be taking the mission of Jesus to every corner or edge of the world. Yes. Corner implies that the earth is flat, and I don't believe that. So, <laughs> sorry. Sorry for you flat earthers. The earth is not flat. Um, but, you know, the whole the mission um, is that we are given the mission by Jesus. Jesus sends us into the world to love on people, to show them compassion, to teach, to show them the gospel, and show them their need for Jesus. Correct. And that's... I mean, in a nutshell, that's the mission of the church, and that's the mission of each individual believer. Um, and that should be what drives us to uh, do what we do day in and day out. Yeah. Well, and and I think it's interesting that so many, so much of the language associated with the church is uh, language that that involves around being sent. Um, you talk about. The mission of the church, well, that comes from the word missio, which means sent. Uh, you talk about apostles. Apostles are ones that are sent. Um, Jesus, at the end of uh, Matthew 28, in the great great uh, commission, you know, go into the world. You are sent. Acts 1-8, you're, you know, you're everything about Scripture related to the church is about the church going. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, and, and I heard this, this analogy a long time ago, and, and I never thought about it. Um, because so many times the church believes that we are in a defensive position. Mm -hmm. You know, we believe that we have to defend against other, against the onslaught of the enemy. But if you read what Jesus says in the gospels, he says, you know, to Peter, I'm going to establish my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm -hmm. So think about that for a second. That means the church is at the gates of hell. So if you're the one attacking the gates, are you on defense or are you on offense? I mean, offense, obviously. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Right. You're the one doing the attacking. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it didn't say, you know, Jesus didn't say, you're going to sit in your, in your little church or in your building and the enemy is not going to be able to get to you. He's not going to get past your gates. No, you are sent. You're the one going out. You're the one attacking the gates. Mm -hmm. So get your water pistol, go challenge hell and, yeah. and do it. You know, it's, <laughs> I, I think just, just having, just hearing you say that, I think about that scene from Forrest Gump when Forrest is running into the jungle to save all of his friends <laughs> from, from the attack that's coming on. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, a really dumbed down version, but Forrest is the church. The jungle yeah. is hell. And, all of your lost friends and family members or all the injured, uh, all the company mates that Forrest brings out of the jungle. Yes. 
And, and that actually is a really good analogy because, you know, the church is the one who is in action. The church is the one. And, and you thought of Forrest Gump because you're a better movie buff than I am. I thought of the movie uh, Hacksaw Ridge where the guy, uh, it's about the guy who's a pacifist and, and wouldn't carry guns, but he ends up like saving an entire platoon of people um, mm. by like carrying them up a ridge or something. And, and you know, the the scene that I remember is the next okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. the next day when the the soul or the boss head guy I don't I don't I'm not army terms so whoever the head is he's like you know how many of them did you save and the guy looks at him and he goes all of them <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and and the the boss guy's like uh, wait are you serious <laughs> um you know because that that's what the church does and and you know John teaches us that that none of the sheep that Jesus has are going to be left behind. You know, that doesn't mean that every single person is saved, but that does mean that every single person that, uh, according to Romans 8 and Ephesians chapter 1, that God has predestined to eternal life from the foundations of the world, those will be saved. And so it is our job to, to take the message, take the gospel, to be sent as ones who are sent to go out into the world and, and bring those people in, whoever they are, we're, you know, we're the ones going and getting them and bringing them in. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, that in, in a nutshell is the mission of the church. Now, how that plays out is a completely different story. And, And that's where a lot of the discrepancies between churches, because you have some people that believe that should play out in the realm of, uh, social, things and and we should be providing things for people and then there's other people who believe that that it should be teaching and and you know we're training people and as we go and get new people we're training these people how to be certain things and we're training them in the way that the bible teaches us to live our lives and 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 so you know whatever avenue whatever way you want to take that I'm I'm trying not to be super subjective right here because you know I do believe there's an objective purpose to the church Mm -hmm. um but i think that revolves around the way that the church responds to the culture around you and and that is going to be different no matter what culture you're in yeah yeah a a church in new york city is going to look much different than a church in africa yes very much just 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 i mean logistically uh people that are going there how how their services are constructed um, or how they how they flow, it, it just it. There's no way to copy and paste a church from one place and put it in the exactly. other. Exactly. Either either way, you couldn't you couldn't do Africa to New York either. Yeah, which is a lot of times, which is why church plants don't succeed mm-hmm. because because you'll have a church from New York try to plant in Ohio. And and it fails, and they're like, "Why did it fail? We have such a good model in New York, and it works in New York." Well, New York is not Ohio. Surprise, mm-hmm. you know, people yeah. there, people are different. The culture is different. Uh, a lot of things about New York to Ohio are different. Yeah. Um, for the same reason that a church from Alabama can't plant in Texas or Arkansas, or well, they might can plant in Arkansas, um, but they, well, you know, but, California. I mean, but, but think about like a church in downtown Montgomery. Yeah, couldn't couldn't plant in northern middle of the sticks, Alabama. Yeah, they they might struggle because you know Montgomery is a huge capital. Uh, it's it's hugeish. Hu- yeah, <laughs> huge is a relative term here. You know, compared it's to huge, Atlanta, hu- huge in Alabama. Yeah, <laughs> true story. True story. Um, you know, but but a you know uh, the the culture and the mindset of Montgomery is even different from you know take Mississippi, you know, it's not far from Mississippi, but there's, you know, you get into the woods of Mississippi and it's completely different. And so you're talking just a couple of hours away mm-hmm. and, or uh, here's, here's an even better example, Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa is right on the Mississippi line. And, right. and if they tried to, you know, a church tried to plant over in the woods of Mississippi, that may not be taken well, number one, because they're Alabama fans, but you know, uh, put that aside and, and, but it's just, it's two completely different cultures that are within an hour of each other. Right. And so, so you, you, you know, you have to, and, and I think, you know, one of the churches that I've seen do church planning pretty well, and, and only because I know a couple of the guys who, who have been on staff there and have worked there, um, 
is is JD Greer's church in North Carolina. So they do have multiple sites in their in their area, and a lot of those sites are replicas of the kind of home church or whatever. I think they have eight or nine in the Raleigh Durham. They're from Raleigh Durham, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so, but Summit Church is responsible for over two hundred and fifty church plants in North America. All right, now. How many of those church plants are called Summit Church? Zero. Because they don't say, we want to duplicate Summit Church. They say, we want to get a team of people to go to an area and meet the needs of the people of that area. Yep. They can call the church whatever they want. They're going to be autonomous. We're going to support them for a while. The, you know That, to me, is the best model of church planting mm-hmm. in, in the best way. Because, honestly... That, to me, follows into the mission of the church, which is to send people. You know, yeah. the whole goal of the church is to send people. So yeah. you get people together, you send them. You you yeah. go start a new church with people in your church. That's what you do. Yeah. Jesus didn't say, go into the world and take what you did, what you do in your church with you and do it exactly the same way. Yes. He said, go, you know, take the message of the gospel, go make disciples Exactly. But go and make them where they are. Yes. So what what works where you're at now may not work where you're going. Yes, exactly. So and, and anyone and anyone who's been on a mission trip to a third world country or even a, a a different first first world country would know that talking to somebody about Jesus the way we talk about him here in the United States will probably not work in Africa or the Caribbean or Europe. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people here have at least heard of Jesus, have at least Mm -hmm. heard the story of Jesus and whether they believe it to be true or not, that's, you know, that's their, that's part of their story. Yeah. But when you go to another first world country like England or France or Spain, you know, they might like have a peripheral knowledge of Jesus. They like like oh yeah, he's like that church guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> like but there's there's not like a understanding of the of the full story of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, even even inside of the United States, that is the case. You know, I've I've been on mission trips where I go to a different part of the country, and the conversations that I have with people are completely and radically different from the ones that I would have, you know, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think we've said we're we're from the South, and so the South That's is not evident. yeah. The South is is commonly referred to as the Bible Belt, and so having gospel conversations with people in the Bible Belt is completely and radically different than having conversations from people in New York and in California. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I and I've had conversations with people who are from California, and the you know the funny thing is I would honestly rather have conversations with people from California because they're they're. If they're listening to you, they're interested. If they're mm-hmm. not interested, they'll go, hey, man, I really appreciate uh, what you're doing, and, and that's all good for you, but, yeah, I'm not I'm not interested in that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they'll tell you, move on to somebody else. I'm not interested. Yeah. You know, whereas a person in the Bible, in the Bible Belt, will just sit there and listen to you and go, well, bless your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I mean, living in the Bible Belt comes with, comes with like a, like a, it's a blessing and a curse because you're you're surrounded with like the knowledge of Jesus and and you know a lot of people know parts of the Bible regardless of if they're yeah. been in the church or not. Yeah. But at the same time, it also it almost can give you like this false sense of security or this false sense of like, oh yeah, I'm safe because I hurt I know about Jesus. Like yeah, pe- pe- I th- I, th- I do think that people get that. We're a little off topic here, but that's okay. <laughs> I think. It happens all the time. Um, but I think people get that idea that, like, knowing about Jesus re- correlates to being a Christian. Knowing Jesus. Yeah. Knowing Jesus yeah. Actually, yeah. knowing Jesus. It's Well, I don't know if y'all have ever read the book or not, um, but there's a, a guy named Dean and, Sarah, in, Dean and Sarah. I don't know. He wrote a book called Unchristian. And mm-hmm. and he talks, like, he talks about pastoring a church in the Bible Belt, and, and he was having a conversation with his seminary graduate friend who was going to like California and and he's like you know man I, I'm really envious that you're getting to go to California and you know it's like the land of the lost or whatever and you're going to do such great things for the gospel 
and and I'm going to be in the Bible Belt. And his friend who was going to California looks at him. He's like, man, what are you talking about? You're the one that's going to have the harder job. You have to minister in the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. Nothing is harder than that. <laughs> you know. Right. And he kind of, you know, he was like, I didn't really know what my friend was talking about until I started working at churches and realized the mentality of so many people in, in the Bible Belt. And so, so it's, you know, it's interesting to, to see it that way, but there's so many people who think that because they're a part of the mission of the church, that they are in the church. Mm-hmm. And and that's something to point out about the mission of the church. I don't think I remember reading that in Packer, but there's so many people who will volunteer for the church and do the work for the church and be a part of the church that are probably going to wake up when they die, they're going to wake up in hell because mm-hmm. they, they were doing all of those things to earn the favor of God. They were doing those things to earn the mercy and the grace of God and that the mercy and the grace of God cannot be earned. It is a gift right. that is given. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, just because you're, just because you're doing the work of the church doesn't mean you're in the church. And, and, that goes back to to the Gospels and, and really specifically uh, the Gospel of John. And I think about the story between Jesus and, and Nicodemus, where Nicodemus thought that, you know, his ethnicity or who he was or working as a, a Pharisee was going to be what got him to heaven. And Jesus ruptured his world when he said, no, you have to be born again. And he's like, well, I can't be born again. I can't go into my mom's womb. And again, it exposes Nicodemus for what he thinks is his is his salvation he thinks his ethnicity mm-hmm. his religious establishment his uh religious placement his place in society that is what saves him but then you fast forward to the end of the gospel and who is it who is at the cross well it's not the disciples it's nicodemus mm-hmm. because he realized in that time uh that that jesus is the christ and and john says he writes these things so that we will know we will believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and so right. you know being in the church does not get you to heaven. Being a part of the church, going to church does not get you to heaven. Being a part of the mission of the church does not send you to heaven. And it's important for us to realize that theologically, because that is no different than uh, a Jewish person thinking that just because they're ethnically uh, Jewish that they're going to get to go to heaven, uh, because that, that that's just not how it works. Right. So, so... That that's kind of a little deviation, but it but it does tie into what the mission of the church is, and that's to take the gospel uh, to the world. Yeah. You got anything else to add? No, man. That's a I, honestly, I didn't think we I didn't think we'd last that long on on those two. I thought they were kind of light topics for tonight, but uh, but that's a good discussion on those two. Uh, the dis- the discipline of the church and the mission of the church. It's two critical mm-hmm. areas that we need to think about as as Christians, yeah. as believers in Christ. And and you know, I, I challenge you if you're if you're in a church that's that's not practicing discipline, you know, in love, obviously, because that's what we that's what we take our our initiative from. But in love, you know, talk with your pastor, find out how you can do things a little bit more biblically. And if your church is not uh, actively participating in the mission of the church. If your church is not actively going and being sent into your community, find out ways that you can serve. You know, I would encourage you to do that. And uh, and until next week, uh, we will have a new beer next week, and we will review that beer. But uh, if they want to find us on social media, Patrick, where would they do that? If you would like to find us and follow us on social media, you can find us at Instagram. We are there at Beers and Bible underscore. We are on the Twitter. We we tweet. Uh, we are at Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, just search Beers and Bible Podcast and look for the logo um, that you see when you find us on whatever you're listening to us on. Um. And you can also send us an email at beersandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or questions about anything that we've talked about, if you have a beer suggestion or would like for us to suggest a beer for you, we'd, we'd love to do that for you. And we'd love to interact with, with you So on any and all of those platforms. So send us a message, hit us up, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll respond because we love talking to people. We like talking, obviously. Yep. So until next week, I hope you have a great week. Keep your beer cold. Keep your Bibles open. And uh, we will see you later. Happy Memorial Day.
two weeks late. Two weeks late, because this is... <laughs> wow, we got to cut that. Sorry. <laughs> Leaving that in. <laughs> That's awkward. Peace out. Peace out. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.